Welcome to Purpose 360. This is Kristen Kenny, and today we are talking to an amazing young woman, Sammy Vance, who is making waves across the U.S. with her incredible acts of generosity and kindness. Um, and we'll just let her take it away to tell us about what she's doing. Hi, I'm Sammy, and a few years ago, I started the Buddy Bench Project. And um, the Buddy Bench is a place when someone is lonely, they can sit on the bench and another person can come up to them and ask them to play. They can play together. I made a comic to um, to kind of spread the word out, uh, to get the word out so that other people can help me with it or they can do it on their own. We used caps to collect for the buddy bench. And today there are still people collecting and sending caps to us. Now there's over a hundred um, schools that have it. And the reason that I did the cap was so that it helps the planet so that way we can recycle more. Now, since the buddy bench kind of is put on hold, I'm doing, I'm finding other ways to spread kindness, like sending an encouraging letter to someone every day. I call that sending smiles. I write a letter in the mail and send it to them um, with the yeah, laminated smiles, the logo. So that everything's safe. So, so Sammy, how do you pick the people that you send those letters to? Well, some people like on my Facebook page, I request it, or I have like my normal pen pals that I um, haven't sent a letter to for maybe a while. So I decide to pick them. I'm trying to get someone from all 50 states, actually. Like <laughs> I did for the caps, I tried to get a cat from all 50 states. And um, I'm also. Uh, I'm also giving encouraging like cards to the nursing home because nursing homes, because they can't like get out and do much. So I've been making me and my family. We're encouraging other people to do it. Other people are doing it. And um, we're encouraging them to send letters to the, or to give letters to the nursing home so that it'll feel like they still belong here. Now, how did you get to be such a, a generous young lady and, and so kind? Mom. <laughs> Mom. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever been asked that question. Um, yeah, I just don't want to see people that are lonely left out. I want everyone to feel like they belong here. And yeah. And so do you, I know that you're, that you have a large family. So, um, are you the boss of these projects and are you getting your, you know, your family to, to participate as well? Kind of, yes. Kind of. Well, m- mom, I know that mom is, is somewhat there. Um, Kristen, I know that you wanted to ask mom a couple of questions about Sammy and especially during COVID. So Heidi, how does it make you feel to see Sammy taking it upon herself to not only start something like Buddy Bench, but to realize how the COVID pandemic has changed the world and to adapt um, and find other ways to spread kindness virtually or by a snail mail. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really proud of her. Um, When she had first heard about Buddy Benches and came to me saying that her school needed it, um, as a mom, I'm like, oh, that seems like a big task and stuff. I'm glad I said yes to her because I could see her heart and um, she just has such a big heart for people. And then to see her come home and be kind of bummed out about not getting to see the buddy benches being used at her school anymore. Um, 
see her want to start sending, continue to cheer people up and spread kindness by these sending smiles. She does every day. She writes a letter, puts it in the mailbox. She left a smile for the postman the other day. She's <laughs> taking all the, all the letters for her. Um, I, I love it. I'm really proud of her. She's always had a sensitive spirit and a big heart. And she's gone from being shy to now just really wanting to spread kindness in any way possible. Um, it's been really neat to see. So, Sammy, do you think that, you know, after we get through the pandemic, um, that there will be more acts of kindness from friends at school or from adults or others? I hope so. Honestly, I'm not sure. Sometimes the world can be a little bit down, but if like, like now it shows you how one little action can change the world. So <laughs> I really hope that there will be more action. Well, that, that's great. And do you have any suggestions of how to get people to, you know, take this, th these wonderful feelings that they've been sharing and, and to make them bigger and do them more often in the future when we get over the pandemic? Yeah, it starts with one act. Like, um, I like to say it starts with one cap at a time, but that goes with anything. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, like starts with one thing at a time. So. If everybody does one yeah. kind of thing. If everyone if everyone in the world does one kind of thing, that will lead um to big things. Like that will go a long way. It would go a long way. Oh, that's incredibly profound. And Sammy, can anyone get involved in sending smiles? Is there anything that people like you or me can can do to help out? Yeah, I encourage everyone. I'm encouraging everyone to be sending smiles. Um all you need is a piece of paper, an envelope, a stamp, a pen, and yeah, yeah, and a smile. Um, <laughs> if people feel insecure, they don't feel comfortable getting mail, like or um, like sharing their address or anything. You can always do it over email too. That sounds easy. There's no excuse not to share a little bit of kindness every day. So, in closing, Sammy, do you have any? inspiring words or advice for anyone who's your age who is going through this or just anybody um well you don't just have to be an adult to make a difference you could be a kid too and always be kind you can change the world with us Lisa Levine and she is head of the Maven project. So welcome Lisa. Thank you very much. So Lisa, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from and specifically about the Maven project which was recently on PBS NewsHour um and and they they defined you as match.com meets the peace corps, but I bet you can explain that even further. Perfect. Thank you so much. So I'm the CEO of the Maven project. I am based in Boston. We are a 501c3 nonprofit actually incorporated in California. We have some staff in Boston, some staff in California, and a few in between. So the Maven Project is a nonprofit healthcare organization that works with an amazing group of experienced physician volunteers who um, volunteer their time and expertise, and we connect them via telehealth technology 
to primary care providers working in community health centers around this country who care for our nation's un- and underinsured. And by connecting these incredible seasoned volunteers who cut across many, many clinical specialties, we're able to bring care to communities that ordinarily wouldn't have access or would have delays in access to care. And we're able to provide resources to the frontline primary care providers who are caring for communities across the nation. So at this time, since since you know, underserved communities um, are so central to the MAVEN project and COVID-19 is having even a greater impact on underserved communities. Talk about your services and your volunteers and perhaps a story or two about um, this these really trying times. Our volunteers uh, come from across the country and they are in various stages of their careers. Uh, some are recently retired, some are working part-time, some are working full-time, and some are working in, in industry with an active license. And they are all part of our core because they are here to give back and to to leverage their experience to help others. And they actually derive a lot of um, joy in doing that themselves. We also create a community for our volunteers. So they also find that the Maven Project brings uh, peers together um, in a community as well. The clinics that we work with currently are struggling with COVID-19. We work with free clinics and federally qualified healthcare centers across this country. The clinics, uh, some of the small uh, clinics have not had the PPE, the personal protective equipment, uh, available in sufficient quantity to protect their staff and their patients alike. And some have temporarily closed their doors, which creates even further challenges for access. Um, federally qualified healthcare centers across this country are also struggling. Both types of clinics are struggling with how do we connect with our patients quickly? How do we effectively implement telehealth overnight so that we can connect with our patients, keep them well and out of the clinic as much as possible and keep our staff healthy and well and safe from uh, each other and from patients alike. Um, and in addition, the um, for clinics that do bill insurance carriers, um, that we're seeing significant declines in the amount of revenue that they're able to generate. So many of the, these clinics really work at the margin already, that these are, you know, additional financial strains hitting this really essential network of, of clinics across this country. Um, with uh, the Maven Project services, so we provide three services as a suite of services via telehealth to our clinic partners. The first one is education. And we design education so it's really actionable and operational to frontline primary care providers so that um, it's what you need, when you need it, and how you need it kind of information. And we, through the COVID pandemic, we've developed a, a series on COVID-19 um, that are really designed for what we know today and what's applicable to you in your role and what you need, you know, need to know about your practice, your patients, uh, yourself. Um, and so that session has been really successful, delivered by a volunteer uh, and an um, infectious disease of physician and epidemiologist. And we also have a panel of other physicians uh, present that answer questions either by live chat or by question that include other infectious disease doc, uh, pulmonary, uh, pulmonologist, um, psychiatrist, and gynecologist. In addition, we've held several sessions on uh, with our psychiatry volunteers on how to manage anxiety for your stress, for yourself, for your patients, uh, and for your clinic, uh, because these are really challenging times. 
Um, in addition, our services include mentoring. So we pair our volunteers on a one-on-one basis up with either frontline primary care providers or the management of the clinics. And we believe that uh, post this acute phase of COVID, that this mentoring program is going to be really vital to pairing up and supporting frontline primary care providers that are even further challenged and burdened with this um, pandemic. And then the third service we offer are what we call consults, where a primary care provider has access to our telehealth platform and they can connect with any one of 42 different clinical specialties, either via live video or audio, uh, sometimes phone, or by an email exchange of questions. And what we're finding is that once a clinic has gotten some uh, telehealth capabilities in place, whether it's calling patients on the phone or, or whatever it is, that that accessing this group of specialists is really helpful to have in your back pocket of being able to ask questions and then circle back with the patient and say, you know, I've consulted with an endocrinologist and, you know, let's do A, B, and C, or let's do A and then B and then C. Um, they found that they really have a, a virtual multi-specialty group practice kind of in their pocket. Mm. So a group of peers um, that develop a relationship we really believe that we're building relationships. So our volunteers really value the relationships they build with primary care providers working in these clinics across the country. And the primary care providers in the clinics really feel like they have developed and they develop over time relationships with our volunteers so that when they have subsequent questions, they have someone to go to that they have a relationship with, or they also feel comfortable of asking whoever is most, you know, next readily available. Where did this idea come from? What was the genesis of it? Yeah. So years ago, our founder, Dr. Lori Green, who's a practicing OBGYN in San Francisco and a public health commissioner in the city of San Francisco, was the president of the Harvard Medical School Alumni Association. And it was a couple of years after the Affordable Care Act was passed. And we were you know, keenly aware of the fact that we were insuring more Americans, but the insurance might not equal mm-hmm. providing access to care for Americans and was charged with how do we engage the alumni in something meaningful? And she was running a meeting one day and saw all these amazing doctors at various stages of their careers sitting in the room in front of her and was keenly aware of the growing need for exactly what was sitting in the room in front of her. And with the early evolution of telehealth technology, the light bulb went off, which was, ah, I could actually connect these doctors virtually, diminish the geographic barriers that would get in the way of, you know, a cardiologist being able to connect with a, in Massachusetts, being able to connect and help a community in Northern California. And the Maven Project was formed as, uh, you know, formed and we started pilots and proof of concept. Oh, that, that's that's wonderful. I love the connecting of the dots. Um, what do you wish that our listeners can do to help you? That's a great question. Um, I think there are a bunch of ways that um, people can help. Number one, um, if you were a physician, um, you know, looking to volunteer. Absolutely. You know, we'd be interested in, in connecting with you. Um, if you're a clinic or running a clinic or get care in a clinic that you think could really benefit from access to um, really a diversity of specialists that could help keep your care local. So what we have found with our consults is 70% of the time, a consult, meaning a referral, to a specialist is actually avoided and not needed if you're able to connect with one of our volunteers. So we're able to keep your care local, keep you at home, avoid unnecessary appointments, unnecessary cost and burden if you do seek care in a community health center. 
So we would love to partner with community health centers and also with um, payers that are supporting, uh, you know, the care of, um, of Americans. And then also our, our really our model is heavily dependent on philanthropy and grants. Um, and so if you are in a position of contributing to helping to scale uh, our work, that absolutely is uh, essential to us uh, continuing to scale and grow. And we're, you know, we're growing, um, we're growing right now. We're in almost a hundred clinic sites across this country and we're very thoughtful and strategic about how we, how we grow. But at the same time, our job is not done until every community that needs us has access to our services. And you provide greater service and you save money in the system. Absolutely. There's an enormous return on investment, an enormous cost savings that, that has been quantified by, um, uh, pro bono uh, consultant partners that we had from McKinsey, significant cost savings for the system, for the patient, in keeping care local, bringing managing conditions earlier and sooner, avoiding emergency rooms and hospitalizations. And then the other piece I would just tell you that keeps us up at night is um, we uh, we worry about the, the early aftermath of COVID-19 and what that's going to look like for um, communities at large and for clinics and providers. So we see an increasing number of unemployed, and there's going to be an increasing number that follows of un and un and underinsured that are going to be seeking care in these community health centers. We also are in caring for the COVID crisis, delaying and postponing some treatments for patients that perhaps we could have managed earlier had this pandemic not occurred. So we might be seeing conditions progress a little bit faster than we would have liked. At the same time, we're seeing a workforce that's burning out, that was already burnt out. And so we're seeing people leave the workforce. We're seeing a lot of um, emotional and physical health issues with frontline uh, primary yeah, frontline caregivers. And at the same time, community health centers are financially constrained. So our concern in this early aftermath is that we're going to have more people around the country seeking care in places that have a a capacity that may not be able to support the number of people seeking care there. And we feel like um, our services can be real value and real real benefit to bringing resources in in an efficient and an effective way to help manage care for a large population. I would love a story, if you have one, that may be related to any sort of service either a community health center or a patient or a volunteer that really kind of touched you um, in the last month or so? So this is actually an, a great case of a um, patient that received a, well, this was a primary care provider who consulted with one of our cardiologists about a patient who was recently hospitalized and discharged and is COVID positive. And they were discharged to finish a dose of a medication that's um, one of the medications being evaluated for studying um, COVID-19 uh, that has a risk of heart arrhythmias. And the primary care provider was asking our cardiologist for some advice on looking at the EKG uh, rhythm strip to see about her rhythm and what suggestion she had for sort of outpatient or continued management based on um, her EKG rhythm strip and being on uh, specific medication and having a history of some high blood pressure and a couple of their conditions that can potentially lead to other heart arrhythmias. And so the cardiologist was really helpful 
and gave her assessment of what she thought was going on and what she can, what she uh, suggested for next steps in terms of some testing, both um, interventional testing and some lab work testing over time that was really helpful for the primary care provider. And the reason that this case I think is really important is that we are discharging from those that are hospitalized with COVID-19 a new cohort of patients that mm. we have not seen before. Um, we know how to manage different conditions in patients, pulmonary disease, heart arrhythmias, but this is, we have not been taught in medical school how to, how to manage a COVID positive patient discharge from the hospital. This is a, this is a team sport. This is not an individual right. sport right now. And so being able to connect with one of our specialists, for example, for a patient that is newly discharged to a primary care provider and saying, I've got, I've got some additional, you know, tools in my toolbox, some additional, uh, uh, folks I can call that have expertise in cardiology, pulmonology, infectious disease is really beneficial both to the patient and to the provider. That, that, that certainly makes sense. Um, Lisa, I want to just shift just one question, which is I'm sure you've seen a tremendous amount. I mean, you have compassion in your model mm -hmm. before COVID. Yeah. But now there is just this tremendous need because of the, the the sickness and the deaths and such, if even more. Yes. What's your feeling about, you know, when we get through this, and we will, whether it's a year or two and we have vaccines and such, what do you think is going to happen to that additional empathy and compassion going forward? Do you think it's going to sustain? Do you think it's going to go back to the way it was? I would hope and I would think that the intent is to be compassionate. I think sometimes in healthcare where we struggle to experience compassion is when we're lacking time. And when, mm. when things feel rushed or stressed or under-resourced or hard to, hard to get things done. So I do have worry that with the intent of being compassionate, we may run into challenges at times because we might be stressed by not having the resources we need. We might be stressed by having too many patients showing up for a provider's office. And I think it's really important that we figure out how to optimize each time or encounter we have with each other and to make each encounter as valuable as possible and as high yield as possible. That's part of what we hope to bring into this picture. So if, mm. if a patient goes and sees his or her primary care provider and the primary care provider says, I'm concerned about your diabetes, that's compassionate. But if they say, I'm concerned about your diabetes and have consulted with an endocrinologist with the MAVEN project, and here's what we think together would really help you. That's another layer of compassion that's mm. also really efficient and effective to hopefully help the patient and help the provider manage that, that case. But I do worry that sometimes our country loses some of the compassion in, in haste and in when we're rushing and when we're stressed and when we're, when we don't have all that we need at our fingertips. Here's a healthcare delivery system that um, is a not-for-profit, that is a, an amazing connection maker. If you're looking for a philanthropic opportunity, please take a look at the Maven Project. Thank you so very much.
have a conversation with a company that's in Montana and how they've made the shift from their normal production of fishing gear to making uh, medical gowns for our frontline responders during the COVID pandemic. So, Diane, tell me what town you're in and what your role is um, at Sims, and tell us what happened. You bet. Um, So, Sims Fishing Products is located in Bozeman, Montana, southwest Montana. And my role is as the Senior Director of Employee and Community Engagement. I've been doing that for about nine years, and prior to that, I was managing the marketing and brand management. And the company has how many employees? Right now, we have about 150 employees, and most of us are in Bozeman. We are most well-known for our fishing waders because we are the only manufacturer of fishing waders in the United States today, and we're one of two Gore-Tex certified wader manufacturers in the world. Ah. So it's a pretty big deal. Wow. Okay. So what, what happened? How did you make the shift? Well, uh, because fishing waders, this comes as a shock to all of us at Sims, uh, fishing waders are not considered essential in in this current environment. So when our governor, Governor Bullock, um, mandated the shelter in place, we um, recognized that we would not be able to continue manufacturing fishing waders. So that impacts about 70 people in our organization. Everyone else was able to work from home, and that's been going fine, and we actually have been doing that since early March. But uh, manufacturing waders wasn't part of that. We were able to keep people employed until he made the mandate in March, at the end of March, 27th, actually. And uh, a, a few weeks prior to that, a couple of our team members had been contacted by Bozeman Deaconess Hospital, and they were concerned about the availability of PPE or personal protection equipment in the way of masks and medical gowns. And because they knew we were a cut and sew manufacturer, mm. and we are relatively well known in our community. They asked if we would consider trying to manufacture some. And uh, we were super excited about that because we have a very talented group of people, both on the product development side and on the manufacturing side. So we knew we could get it done, uh, but we just needed to understand what the hospital needed that we could have a product that would protect them. Since we use Gore-Tex fabric, we knew that would work. It's chemically inert. It's very stable, and it works when you're immersed in water, so it would be a great product, we felt, um, but but we didn't know. So mm-hmm. we got some sample products from them, and we had our developers work on building a product. And so we did a couple of um, prototypes and got them up to the hospital, and they picked the one that they liked the best. And so we went into production and they gave us an initial order of 400 gowns and we had available obsolete fabric that we could use. And so it it happened in two weeks. And and it's interesting because we call that smart generosity. 
Whereas you had, you know, some fabric that was left over. You had the incredible excitement of your employees and you and you were you smartly constructed it and you got some orders. And so so where are you now? How many have you made? Um, How do your employees feel about this? So uh, with the partnership of the hospital's foundation, they were able to find a donor that would um, support from the from the overhead side. And so we ended up doing about a thousand waiters for our local hospital. And, and both of us wanted to promote this. Um, on the SIM side, we have we just launched a tagline a year ago called Fish It Well. And um, for us, that meant more than just fishing. That meant how you give back to your community, how you protect the resources, um, how you really live your best life and and serve your community. And we really felt like this was part of that, a perfect fit. And so we promoted it as a way to demonstrate how a small company in Bozeman can pivot like that. And um, Bozeman Deaconess really enjoyed the community story, so they promoted it. And we ended up getting folks reaching out to us to order more gowns. So at this point, we've done about 4,000 gowns, and uh, we have orders for many more. And we have also had some partners step up to donate more fabric. One of those is W.L. Gore and Associates, the makers of Gore-Tex, Gore-Tex fabric. just love them, and, yeah. And um, so they, they said that they could donate some fabrics because um, our fabrics typically are pretty heavy for waders. Mm. And so they have some lighter weight material that they felt like would work for medical gowns. So we're going to get that fabric in. And then we've gotten more foundations that are interested in being able to provide gowns to rural communities, mm. which have a more difficult time securing that. Um, so we have just really been impressed with the communities, both the fishing community and the, the medical folks, and then foundations that are interested in helping and, and typically love fishing. So it, it all comes full circle in the Fish It Well campaign. Um, and so we, I reached out to my contact at the state level, and they connected with the task force, the COVID-19 task force. So we'll be providing medical gowns at no charge to 46 rural hospitals in Montana in the next two weeks, and, um, and then continuing to supply as we've had individuals order them. We've had other hospitals across the country order them, and we hope that we can provide more um, to rural rural communities in other states, for sure. Fish it well. Mm-hmm. You are doing that exceedingly well. So <laughs> I'd love to hear a story or two from some of, like an employee or two, and who's working on this project, and, you know, how do they feel uh, about the work they're doing? This has been, uh, in a terrible and unpredictable time, this has been really a wonderful way for our employees to feel like they have some sense of control and contribution. And even though it's not the whole company that's working on these, um, certainly at some level, for the folks working from home, them doing, doing their job, continuing to do their job well, 
and um, moving forward and looking forward, that helps the others of us that are working on the PE project to be able to focus on it. So um, everyone has a role in making this successful and um, whether they're actually touching it directly or not. And so uh, a specific example I have is one of our, we call them waiter makers, the people that make our waiters, now gown makers. Um, when we posted the uh, story on social, when we delivered our first order of gowns to Bozeman Deaconess, one of the waiter makers posted on her Instagram a story of her grandmother and having gone through World War II and understanding what it's like to give back to your community and the importance of, of uh, really thinking about others before self. And so Julie, the waiter maker, posted just a lovely story on Instagram relating back to her grandmother and how she was brought up and how special it was that she was able, Julie, our waiter maker, was able to have that same experience. Oh, that's lovely. And, and have you heard from any of your customers? Yes. Yes. Um, quite a lot. Yeah. And, and what are they saying? Yeah. What are they saying? Um, they're just so thankful that we were able to make this pivot, not only for our employees, right, that they're able to continue, some of them are able to continue to work, but also that we recognized our talent and skills and we were able to apply it for something that normally wouldn't even be a thought in our world. Mm. So do you have any advice to other small businesses around the country that don't have an obvious um, way to support our first responders? Um, any thoughts? Uh, you know what I'd say? There's always an opportunity in the community, right? And we've found that through volunteerism and just understanding the needs of the people that are directly around you. Um, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be making PPE, right? Uh, there's food banks that need help. There's um, there's elderly that can't get out that need help. And, and just to reach out to your next network. That's what I would say. And that's what we found was really essential in making this work is that there's always somebody out in your network that has an idea that you might be able to help or do. Oh, that's that's terrific. So um, I want to thank you, Diane, very much for what you're doing at Sims. And please thank your colleagues. I sure will. Oh, please, please thank your colleagues. Give them big virtual hugs. I will. And um, it, for any of our listeners, um, please just reach out to us and tell us your story and we'll have you on the show. It's really, uh, Diane, was it, uh, it was fun or at least it wasn't painful? It was awesome. That was I, awesome. You can great. tell I love telling these stories. <laughs> and, and you're doing a great job. And so please, you know, send an email to p. 360podcast at gmail.com p360podcast at gmail.com give us a sentence or two about what you're doing and we'll have you on the show we all want to hear these great stories of just wonderful human to human contact and support and empathy and caring and we will in this interconnected way we will get through COVID-19 together so thank you so much, Diane, and stay safe. Thank you, you too.